suffer from the heartbreak of brain rot, feeling bored, sluggish, listless, not had a new idea in days, using electronic gizmos without a clue why they work. Now there's help. Ham Radio, guaranteed to stimulate your corroding neurons and open a whole new world of excitement. To learn more about Ham Radio, go to helloradio.org. Side effects of Ham Radio usage include mental stimulation, desire for education, new career paths, understanding of technology, and cases of addiction have been reported. If you experience any of these symptoms, you're welcome. Ham Radio, it's not your granddaddy's radio anymore. Hello and welcome to Hacker Public Radio. Your host today is Joel McLaughlin. I am also known as Gorkin from the Lake Sling Tech Show and W3RAZ or Whiskey 3 Romeo Off Zulu. That's how you would say my amateur radio call in phonetics, and that's what today's show is going to be about. The reason why I uh, decided to record this for HPR was the last uh, episode of, well, the episode of. TLLTS that we lost, um, we had a good conversation going with uh, Carla Schroeder on amateur radio. And then Dan and I also rehashed as much as we could. I rehashed uh, what I could on the subject. Now, today I'm going to cover a little bit of the history of amateur radio. And then uh, I'm also going to basically uh, tell you how I got interested in it what I currently do in it, and then uh, we'll leave it at that for this episode. But <clears throat> first, I just want to kind of say thanks for uh, the guys at HPR for th- hosting this show um, while hosting the feeds here. And just thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my love of amateur radio with the listeners of HPR. <clears throat> so here we go. Amateur radio actually started... With the birth of radio, essentially. Uh, in the beginning, there was no FCC, of course. So there was nobody to manage all that stuff. So these were basically, that that time period, that was the present-day hacker. There was no computers. There was no, no uh, electronics like we have today. So they had to invent this stuff. And inventors of, you know, people who worked on radio over the years come from the likes of Heinrich Rudolf Hertz, Nicola Tessa, Guglielmo Marconi, Amos Dolbea, Reginald Fessenden, James Clark Maxwell, Sir Oliver Lodge, Malon Loomis, Nathan Stubblefield, Alexander Popoff, and many others. Uh, of course, also the inventors of the transistor had a huge role in how amateur radio is looking today. Now, uh, Marconi had experiments from 1900 through 1908, and they were sending uh, something they call continuous wave today, or CW, otherwise known as Morse code. And they used what was called a spark gap transmitter. Now, these were not (coughs) the... uh, boxes like we use today at all they looked well they looked a little bit more uh well, let's say brutal uh, <laughs> uh they look like torture devices to me every time i've ever seen a spark gap transmitter that's kind of what it looked like to me because essentially it's as as a spark was actually jumping from one post to another <laughs> anyway so that's how you know the radio first came about is they had these Late, uh, they had laden jars, a tuning coil, 
a spark gap, and induction coils, and of course, a telegraph key and batteries. All right, <clears throat> and uh, this very simple transmitter, and you know, there's not much control of what frequency it came on in the beginning. You know, nothing like we have today with with the computer generated displays or any of that stuff. So these, this is like, uh, like I said, very early in amateur radio. That's how it started. And then it wasn't until 1912 that the U.S. federal government decided that it was time to start licensing amateur radio operators, which means in 2012 we will be celebrating the 100th year of amateur radio. Now, throughout the years, they actually suspended amateur radio twice. One was at least twice to my knowledge. One was during World War One, and the other was during World War Two, which my grandfather served in. Now, World War Two, my grandfather served as a radio officer in the army in Germany. Actually, that's basically what where anyone who was an amateur radio operator they essentially went in the army. A lot of them did anyway. So at least all the people that my grandfather hang, hung out with, they all served as radio officers in the Army. So then at, it, was, it wasn't until after the war and the booms of the, you know, the 50s and the end of the 60s where amateur radio really started to blossom. Uh, 1961 was the first satellite carrying amateur radio. Oscar, Oscar 1 was launched in 61. Ham radio also served uh, the U.S. Navy and uh, other Department of Defense agencies, and they would help send messages back home with the radio. So, and th that actually kind of goes hand in hand with uh, amateur radio today. We still serve the public interest in. Amateur radio usually can go in to areas and set up stations where there is very little. You know, we set up a radio, an antenna, and a generator for power or batteries or whatever. We start communicating. Think places like Joplin, Missouri, Hurricane Katrina, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Some of these places um, had no communications. So I'm betting that the amateur radio operators were very very active in those areas it today even so and that's one of the reasons why uh amateur radio is important and it's important that we get operators and that we stay at the forefront of technology uh because amateur radio operators always were there um they had to back in the day there was no place to go buy radios you had to build your own you had to go and buy a a kit from Heathkit or other places like that and build your own radio. Nowadays, it's <clears throat> just easy to go up to gigaparts.com and order a radio and even order antenna and feed line and everything and just put everything together. And, to, and back then, you really had to know your stuff. You had to build your own antennas. And that's one of the, <clears throat> the things I'm hoping to... Uh, accomplished with HBR is to bring some of that to uh, the hacker community of today. Uh, just kind of say, well, what happens if the internet goes away? How do you communicate without Skype and things of that nature and cell phones and whatnot? Well, this is how. Amateur radio 
is the way to get message out of a disaster area. <clears throat> so um, how did I get interested in the amateur radio? Um, my grandfather, I, as I said, he served in the World War II as a communications officer. And he was originally given the call sign W8RAZ. And then at some point where he was issued that license, which is Western Pennsylvania, that license uh, changed from an 8 to a 3 because they did some redistricting of the call areas. Now, what do I mean by a call area? Well, basically, the FCC has a map. And depending on where you live, depends on what number is going to be in your call. Now, when I was first licensed, my call was originally N8VQJ, or November 8, Victor Quebec Juliet, in uh, International Phonetics. And uh, we, you will hear amateur radio operators use phonetics often because sometimes we're communicating in deteriorating conditions, and it's not an FM signal. You know, sideband can sound kind of bizarre if you've never heard it before. And hopefully, I might actually have a little bit of a show on each kind of of a signal that we can produce. Uh, of course, then you have Morse code, which that is Morse code is essentially a digital mode. It's on and off, kind of. You either have a signal or you don't. That's where where uh, digital binary stuff first came from Morse code when you really think about it. So my grandfather was originally W8RAC until the redistricting then he was W3RAZ. Now in a lot of areas all the different variations on the call signs have been issued uh, and they're starting to recycle them. The original call signs used to be like one by twos like I have a friend who's got a call N8XE so those are starting to be reissued because, well, the people who used to hold them are dying. <laughs> so they have to give new people call signs from somewhere. So that's what happens. So, um, so when I pass on, if, if my son doesn't get my my uh, call, current call sign W3RAZ, somebody else will. So now my hope is that somebody else gets it because W3RAZ has always been in my family since my grandfather. That's one of the reasons why I switched my call sign. Uh, back in 2003, <clears throat> I finally uh, went to the effort to learn Morse code and take the test, and I passed my 13 words per minute Morse code test. Now, unfortunately, I could, probably can't send that anymore, send or receive that anymore. But that's just the way it was back then. Back in 2003, I had to do that. Now, three years later, they got rid of the requirement. So, oh well. That's just the way it happens. But um, so it was at that time when I upgraded my license. I had uh, it was kind of funny. I'd already told my uh, my friend Carl Deaver A A A Y Y or Alpha Alpha Eight Yankee Yankee. Um, <clears throat> I told him that I was gonna go ahead and uh, change my call. Once, if I pass my exam, and that year I decided I was going to take my exam at the Dayton Hamvention, in uh, in 2003. And the great thing with the way ham exams are now is that you'll walk out knowing and able to use your new privileges that you just earned. That's the way it works. I walked in and uh, passed my exams. When I came out. 
He asked me how I did, and I said, I pass. And he handed me a, a, a name tag with my new call on it already. Now, <laughs> now I had to turn in paperwork to the FCC to get that because it was actually available. And fortunately enough for me, nobody else wanted it. So uh, I was able to pick it up, and fortunately I didn't have to go and uh, and uh, uh, destroy that tag. <laughs> That's kind of how I got my call sign upgraded. And why did I get into it? Well, it's obviously it's my grandfather. My grandfather was a big influence in my life. I always hung out with him. And we talked on the radio when we were kids with uh, his friends. And we, you know, to me it was just fascinating to sit there and watch him talk into a radio. And he be heard thousands of miles away. And uh, so... That's kind of what inspired me to go get my license. And uh, my grandfather always knew that if, if anyone was going to do it, it would have been Joel. So and that's also where I got my love for computers and all the rest of the stuff that makes me what I am today. So amateur radio is a lot of what makes me up or what makes me up. <laughs> what modes do I work now? Um, I primarily do a FM uh, I use a heavy uh, handheld radio. I, u- I use a, a Yezu VX7R, um, which is a that's what they call a tri-bander handheld radio. It has uh, six meters, seventy centimeters, two meters, and it doesn't do two twenty, but it does receive um, like broadcast band and stuff like that. Um, Plus, I can receive all the way up to uh, the uh, you know other bands too. I think you can receive uh, some of the HF bands on there as well. And uh, so that's my handheld radio I use. I also have a radio uh, that I inherited from my grandfather, uh, made by a company called Asden. Now, Asden doesn't make amateur radios anymore. But they do make uh, microphones and PA equipment still, so they're still around. And uh, <clears throat> that radio is a Asin PCS 6000, and uh, that's two meter only. It's got a, a keypad on the microphone for uh, using DTMF tones. Uh, DTMF is basically if you know what it, your phone, like your cell phone, if you ever hear the tones that come from that that's what they call a dtmf tone and i'll talk a little bit more about that maybe in a later hpr but uh so in uh that's my two primary radios i also have an htx 10 i believe it is it's a 10 meter only radio uh, that i picked up from radio shack for 50 bucks you're not going to get that lucky twice (laughs) Uh, most radios that i'm uh, i seen you might have seen you know they it can cost anywhere between 500 to thousands of dollars uh for the radios but you can still actually build your own radio today uh it's a little harder maybe than it used to be and it's in some cases it's easier because back then you had to have things like an oscilloscope and stuff like that but in a lot of cases Nowadays, you don't even have to have an oscilloscope. You can just use a, a what they call a VOM or volt ohm meter to do the necessary 
measurements when you're putting the radio together. Now, <clears throat> I actually have not put any of these together myself yet. Maybe someday I might buy one and just learn how to do it. But there's all kinds of kits that you can buy still. They're just a little harder to find. You just can't go to Radio Shack and buy parts to, to build your own radio now like you used to be able to. But it's still possible to build your own radio. <clears throat> um, there's also other things like software to find radios, which you know I've never used myself, but I know they exist. And uh, that's part of what you have to learn when you... Um, you know, you may not have to learn about software software radios necessarily for your test, but you have to learn certain things about um, what amateur radios do, operators do, the law a little bit. You know, as so, for example, one part of the law is you're not supposed to use any more power than is necessary to establish communications. That is, you don't go run full legal limit all the time just because you can. You Use only what you need to establish communications. Now, <clears throat> there's some amateurs that go into that a little bit deeper and run as little as they can. And those operators are called what they call QRP operators. QRP is a Q code for low power. <clears throat> Most of these operators probably run 5 watts or less. Uh, and... You can work the world with a radio that only produces 5 watts. You don't need hundreds and thousands of watts to establish communications on a worldwide basis. Uh, but <laughs> that's what some people think they're supposed to do, but that's really at the antithesis of amateur radio. So, um, That's really all I'm going to have in this episode because I, I want to pick some certain topics out specifically and record some shows other shows about it like one of the things I want to look at is radio programming um, for many years since like the late 90s at least I think you've been able to hook your radio up to a computer and uh, program them that way you don't have to sit there and type into a little tiny keypad to program all the frequencies that you might want to use. So I'll cover a little bit on that and not necessarily on how to do it with the out of the box stuff, but how to do the more hackery kind of things. Uh, how to do that in Linux, for example. Uh, so those are the kind of topics I hope to get in here on Hacker Public Radio. I hope you find this topic interesting. If you want to, if you want to email me suggestions, Feel free to email me, gorkin at tllts.org is one address you can use, or you can also use my Gmail address, which is the same, gorkin, G-O-R-K-O-N, at gmail.com. <clears throat> and uh, thank you guys for listening to this. I hope you, like I said, hope you find it informative, and I hope it really interests you in amateur radio, and... That will also be – I keep thinking of topics as I'm talking here, so I'm going to go ahead and stop recording here. Um, but like I said, hope you found it interesting, and stay tuned to Hacker Public Radio. Hopefully I can get some more more of you interested into uh, amateur radio. Now, if you're going – before I leave, if you're going to the Southeast Linux Fest, one thing I am definitely going to do 
is I'm going to take my amateur radio with me. Uh, it, if I can get a show out, well, I don't know if, if this is going to run before itself because it's only in a couple weeks here. But um, if you're out there and you're uh, in, in the Spartanburg area, I highly suggest looking up uh, Jeremy Jeremy Sands, who's one of the organizers of the Southeast Linux Fest. He has a nice set of frequencies that you can use with the amateur radio um, to communicate in that area. So if you're an amateur radio operator and you would like to talk to me, W3RAZ, just give me a call. I'll probably listen to... One probably the very first frequency in Jeremy's list for a little bit of time uh, every day. So I might uh, even try and establish a net. Maybe I don't <laughs> a self net. I don't know. <laughs> um, we'll see. The thing is, is I'm going to also be there in uh, in service of the Linux Link Tech Show. So I'll be at the Tech Show booth. And uh, I may take the radio with me right at the booth. So you can take a look at it. If you've never seen an amateur radio, you can take a look at uh, my radio. And uh, we can chat about amateur radio. So um, one thing um, that I'll share with you as I close the show, and it seems like I've been closing for five minutes, uh, is there's a set of codes that uh, you will hear operators use. Now, a lot of operators use them in voice modes, but... uh, a lot of you don't really have to, but I usually do at the end of my own personal podcast. I'll use the term 73. And 73 means best regards. So I always show everyone a 73s. Have a happy summer. Hopefully, I can see you at the Southeast Linux Fest in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And uh, give me a call. Call signs W3RAZ and. 73s and I'm clear. With over 220 people dead and a path of destruction hundreds of miles long, survivors of the Alabama tornadoes found themselves in whole cities without power, telephones, internet, cell phones, or other ways to communicate. And who is there to help in this devastation? The amateur radio operators. Ham radio people are providing communications between shelters, relief centers, emergency operations centers, search and rescue groups, and a host of relief organizations as they respond to the crisis. In the days to come, more hams will arrive from around the country to be assigned where they're needed most. These unpaid volunteers are using their radio skills to get critical voice and digital messages through. When other systems go down or are overwhelmed, ham radio people using modern equipment still are reliable like they always have been. To learn more about amateur radio in emergencies, go to emergencyradio.org. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. For more information on the show and how to contribute your own shows, visit hackerpublicradio.org.